Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Hey, good morning. I want to welcome everyone here today. Uh, if you're new, my name's Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset Church. And let me just thank you for taking time to stop by. There are so many great churches doing so many great things in town. And uh, so we're just thankful that, uh, that you took a moment to, uh, to be here with us. We're in a holiday series right now called Tradition, Legend, and Lore. And we're having kind of a, some, giving ourselves some creative leeway to, to look at all these things that we celebrate, these things that are passed down from generation to generation, and asking ourselves why. Why are those things important? And how do those things uh, remind us of the things, of course, that God has passed down for us to celebrate? I want to talk to two groups of people. First, to all the guests, because we've had a lot of guests over the last month or so. Thank you for checking us out. I realize this uh, series is kind of creative and different. I've had a ton of folks say, wow, I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, my mind's expanding. This isn't the typical holiday stuff. And uh, I'm just grateful to have a place I can feel welcome and invite my friends. Let me also say to all the church people, those of you who are used to fairly traditional holiday series, uh, I am impressed with, with how gracious you have been. I mean, I have brought, I mean, we did Velveteen Rabbit last week. And, and, and everyone, I could see at first people were like, mm, I don't know if I see Jesus in that. But by the end, it was all about Jesus. And so uh, today is, is another one of those. We're going to keep kind of pushing that and, and asking those big questions. And I just want to say to those of you who are a part of this community, and yet maybe, you, as I said, you've, you've been a part of something much more traditional in the past. We, we are so grateful that you're here. Uh, we don't want to just be a a church full of, of people seeking. We want to be a church full of people who are, who are founded and, and full of uh, uh, good answers to the questions that a lot of us are asking. And that takes a lot of grace from you to, to give us the space to, uh, to be creative and do some of these things. Even my own team. I mean, let's be honest. Pastor Tom grew up in church, and when he heard I was doing Velveteen Rabbit, he, just, he was just silent. He didn't say good or bad. He was just like, oh. And, and, and that for me is a yes. So I just went for it. But uh, it, it, it's really beautiful to partner how we do and, uh, and, see, uh, and see what God makes of it. So, so thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in. And uh, we had a blast last service, so I think we'll do the same thing this time around. Uh, let's just ask right now for the Holy Spirit to remove any distractions we brought with us, anything that keeps us from hearing uh, specifically to our needs, around our needs, our life, the stuff we're dealing with. We recognize, Lord, that in this room are so many people coming from so many different paths. It's impossible to preach a message or share anything of value that reaches everyone without you. You are why we are here. You are the, the source of our story, and we are, we are so grateful. Thank you for those who are seeking today, who are on the edges, who, who hope this isn't going to be too crazy or weird, and yet, Lord, really feel in their hearts this is where they're supposed to be. May the next half hour for them be uh, intimate. May it be honest and authentic, and may they leave here asking some questions that they, uh, they, they hadn't asked before. Thank you for all those who, uh, who holidays are uh, special and beautiful, and also, Lord, we thank you for those that you're encouraging and showing up who uh, are going through the holidays, and this is a difficult time. Maybe this is the first time they've experienced a holiday without a loved one, 
And uh, Lord, they're just leaning into you. And so today, that's just really our theme, just leaning into you, doing what you want to do, listening to you, talking about you, and uh, just uh, maybe laughing a little bit in between. We are blessed. We are praised that you are here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, not all traditions need to be holiday-based. Uh, I asked the church for a whole bunch of traditions, which, by the way, uh, feel, feel free to still send those. I'm going to be reading different ones every week. But they're not all, not all traditions, per se, is holiday-based. This one actually has to do with a time of year, and uh, this is what it says. It says, I've grown up a Blazers fan. I remember the days of Drexler, Porter, Buck, Kersey, etc., like it was yesterday. My dad took me to Blazer games when I was young at Memorial Coliseum. We didn't go often, but when we did, it was an experience. I remember specifically that my dad would wear a fanny pack, <laughs> and inside was peanut M&Ms specifically to be eaten during the game. This year, I'm taking my son to his first Blazer game. I'm lucky enough that my dad will come along. While fanny packs may be harder to find, peanut M&Ms will be there. These, are, these traditions are, uh, are something very close to all of us. And the whole theme of the series is really that, that there are things that we remember, things that, 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 that drive us to feel and experience. Uh, our catchphrase for the series is this, a teaching series about discovering the importance of spiritual experience through tradition, legend, and lore. We have oftentimes undervalued experience, and we have transferred it in exchange for text or or, or authority, or even discipline, or knowledge, and yet experience, this thing that's passed inside tradition, legend, and lore, um, continues to have a life of its own in spite of our desire to base many of our decisions around text, and knowledge, and authority, and all those kinds of things. And so experience inside the series is a beautiful piece around what it is that we are going to unpack today. We're going to use the word lore to do it. Lore is a body of traditions traditions, and knowledge on a subject or held by a particular group, typically passed from person to person by word of mouth. Another word for this, a much more common word would be fairy tale. Uh, fairy tales are things that, that are passed originally from person to person, usually uh, by word of mouth, and they have within them a deep experience that speaks to a principle that is core to the essence of the story, and that really drives the story from one generation to the next. It's these memorable and often well-known stories that most enthrone deep warnings or morals in a way that can be easily passed down through the generations. And so today we're going to look at one of the oldest known fairy tales or uh, works of lore that we have, and that is the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Now, when Tom heard I was doing this, I had a little more leeway because of my Velveteen Rabbit pull-off. So we'll see if I still earn the trust that I, in the back, actually, before I go up, he goes, I hope today's good. Little Red Riding Hood? I'm like, that's, that's not encouraging, but that's all right. That's all right. Let's see what the Holy Spirit does with it. The tale of Little Red Riding Hood is of European origin and has had many retailings, retellings, possibly as far back as the 10th century, making this story uh, for certain 1,100 years old plus. The classic tale of a little girl pursued by a wily and evil wolf while on her way to visit her grandmother has been told in many versions. Its origins can be traced back to the European folk tales, including one from Italy called The False Grandmother. 
The story has been changed considerably in various retellings and subjected to numerous modern, modern adaptations and readings. Other names for the story are, as we said, Little Red Riding Hood, Little Red Cap, or simply Red Riding Hood, or Little Red Hat. I think the Little Red Hat one's kind of lame, but that's just me. The fairy tale made a long journey. It evolved as a spoken story in France, Austria, and Northern Italy before being written down by French author Charles Perrault in the 1600s and was later retold in its most familiar form by the Brothers Grimm around 200 years ago. I want to read from you one of the oldest known versions of the story along with some pictures because it's always fun. And I want to share with you the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Once upon a time, everybody just became nine right then. You're like, <laughs> you just got deeper in your covers, didn't you? I know, I know. See, Tom, it's working. Where is he at? It's working, Tom. Once upon a time, a long time ago, in a house near a wood, as most pretty histories go, a nice little girl lived called Red Riding Hood, as some of us already know. One day, said her mother, get ready, my dear, and take to your granny some cakes and a pot of fresh butter to soothe her and ask after her pains and aches. Out sat Red Riding Hood, so obliging and sweet, and she met a great wolf in the wood, who began most politely the maiden to greet. In as tender a voice he could, he asked to what house she was going, and why Red Riding Hood answered him all. He said, give my love to your gran, I will try at my earliest leisure to call. Off he ran, and Red Riding Hood went on her way, but often she lingered and played, and made as she went quite a pretty nosegay with the wild flowers that grew in the glade. But in the meanwhile, the wolf went with a grin at the grandmother's cottage to call. He knocked at the door and was told to come in. Then he ate her up, sad cannibal. <laughs> it's a brutal story. <laughs> then the wolf shut the door and got into bed and waited for Red Riding Hood. When he heard her soft tap at the front door, he said, speaking softly as ever he could, Who is there? It is I, your dear grandchild. I've brought some butter and nice little cakes. Pull the bobbin, my child, and come in as you ought. I'm in bed very bad with my aches. When she entered the room, the old wolf hid himself very carefully. Such was his plan. Put your basket and things, little dear, on the shelf, and come into bed to your gran. The obedient child laid her, laid her down by the side of her grandmother dear, as he thought. But all at once, granny, Red Riding Hood cried, what very long, long arms you have got. <laughs> he answered, the better to hug you, my child. But granny, what very large ears, the better to hear you. The voice was still, but the poor little girl had her fears. Grandmother, you seem to have very large eyes. The better to see you, I trow. What great teeth you have got, said the wicked, and the wicked wolf cries, the better to eat you up now. Red Riding Hood shrieked, and bang, off went a gun, and shot the old wolf through the head. <laughs> hey, I'm just reading the story. You guys read these stories to your, your babies before bedtime, right? One howl and one moan, one kick and one groan, and the wicked old rascal was dead. Wow. Some sportsman, he certainly was a dead shot, 
had aimed at the, the wolf when she cried, so Red Riding Hood got safe home, did she not? And lived happily there till she died. <laughs> just, just right to the point. Oh, man. Uh, this, uh, this story, as ancient as it is, it, it speaks to something powerful. The, the, the real, the, the core overriding message of the story is this. The story's overriding message is to be careful who you trust. Uh, and I, I think that part of the reason these fairy tales, these, these uh, stories of lore, legend, and tradition work the way they do from generation to generation is they speak to, as does scripture speak to, something core to us as humans, something that isn't really about what nation we're from or how old we are or, or uh, whether we're male or female or any of the kind of things that we might think would fall out of fashion with a story that should live on. This idea of learning to trust people really is uh, at the core part of the story's truest enduring power, for it speaks to something very real and lasting, no matter culture, no matter age, no matter what it is you've experienced, and that is this, that trust is a human need. And because it's a human need, it will be played upon. And that we have to be careful and aware, not just of, of things we are clearly uh, uh, certain are dangerous to us, but also things that appear to be something they're not. The clearest example of Little Red Riding Hood that I could find in the Bible, and I think it's a pretty good one, is the story of the young man of God and the old prophet. And the story, if you want to read it, I'll read a portion of it, but it's found in 1 Kings chapter 13. And it's an amazing story around this idea of learning to trust how we're supposed to versus deciding that we're going to trust because of someone presents themse- who someone presents themselves to be. In Little Red Riding Hood's story, a wolf with a bonnet in bed pretending to speak with grandmother's voice. The story goes that there was a young prophet, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a man of God, and he, he was given a word of the Lord to go and speak to a local king, and he did so. And the king repented instantly, and the prophet, I mean, it was scary what he had to say around the king's kingdom, but, but this young man of God decided that's what he was going to do, and so he did it anyways, and the king repents and says, allow me now to reward you bountifully. Come into my house. Let me give you uh, all that you want for this amazing word of God that you've given me. And the young man proclaims, no, I can't do that. He says, I can't do that because along with this prophecy, the Lord has also said to me, I should not eat or drink or partake of any kind of community like this. I need to come deliver my message and head straight home by a different path. And so the young man does all this, and he is disciplined, and he follows God's calling in his life, and then he follows, if you will, his own trail in the woods. Now, there's a retired old prophet, a man who is well-known in the region, a man who may even be famous for all the things that he's done on behalf of God, and he hears about God using this other young man, and he, he wants to be close to what God's doing once again, and so he sends his sons to go and find the young man and talk to him and pull him into his house so that they can talk about the fact that they're both prophets. They're both men of God. And that's where the story picks up in chapter 14 of verse, uh, chapter 13 of verse 14. And he said, he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. 
And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord. And then he repeats what he had just told the king earlier. You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And the old prophet said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to, eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, the men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. Now, this story is, is profound f- really from lots of different perspectives, but specifically for those of us who have been church hurt or spiritually wounded. Because using the, the, the idea, right, the, the theme of Little Red Riding Hood, that, that, that you're off to do something on behalf of your mother, good for your grandmother, somebody comes along who decides to tweak your plans, hears about what your plans are, puts themselves inside your story, right, becomes, in essence, the the goal that you're trying to reach, the grandmother that you're trying to help, and then tries to bring damage upon you is is such a deep theme within spiritual uh, hurt that I don't even know how people actually hear the story and don't tie it into their own lives so, so many times. In this story right here, the man of God is doing something good for God. God gives him clear directions. He's on his way a different way, and the old prophet finds out where he is, wants to be part, calls him back, ends up feeding him, deceives him, trips him up, messes him up, consumes his calling. Okay, take it how you want. And then eventually God uses the old prophet to tell the young man of God that what he's done is wrong, that he's in disobedience, and that God will punish him for it. Now, this is a very muddy story that, 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 that I want to unpack for us using kind of other stories and other illustrations, but I want it to track with us because at the end of the day, this theme that we as God's people are called to go do something, we're called to a mission, we're called to go help grandmas, okay, we're called to feed grannies. A lot of times we as Christians think just because God called us to go feed grannies, he's going to provide the way. We say it all the time. If God, God called you, he'll provide a way. 
God called you, he'll provide a way. If God called you, he'll provide a way. And then somebody inserts themselves in our story and we figure because God called us and because this person also claims to be of the cloth or of the faith, that this person must therefore be there to help us. And so we divert what God has called us to go and accomplish what they feel needs to happen. And suddenly, therefore, their authority becomes the authority we worship. And so suddenly, oftentimes, we find ourselves damaged. What we think of often is by them, when really it's God the whole time who said, I never included them in that part of your story. This is is sketchy, because what this does for us right now, and I'm going to do it as gently as I can, but it removes a lot of the mantle that you, not all of you, but some of you have even placed on me. You think because for the last 20 years I've sat on stage with a microphone, spend most of my hours during the week studying God's word, that every single thing I tell you is for you and it should be followed. Not true. It's not true. Your job is to filter the things that I bring. Your job is to question. Your job is to challenge. Your job is to ask what pieces of what I'm sharing fit inside your story. And the only way to do that is to build trust with the Holy Spirit, not trust with me. This is why so many church people are hurt by other church people because we all want something tangible. So we're on our way to feed grandma. We see a wolf that offers an easier path and we go, well, that must be what my life's about. And then we get chewed up. And then we blame everybody around us But God, who said, that was never part of your path. God's called you to follow him, not Danny. God's called you to follow Jesus, not Kesed. God's called you to figure out and ask these big questions about your story that only you can answer. My job, frankly, is just to sit up here and fillet open my life as much as I possibly can and be authentic as much as I possibly can about how really little I know. I really don't know that much. I I know, I know. We had so much momentum going too, (laughs) just up until today. I really don't know that much. But what I do know is that God has called me and he's called you to this mission, to this this place, to this purpose that is bigger and deeper than, than any of us know. And it definitely travels through some deep, dark woods. And along the way, people try to hijack it. King David himself talked about trust all the time. Psalm 118, 8 through 9, he says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Princes would be the epitome in his his definition of what men could accomplish, and it would be better in all things to trust in the Lord. David spoke from experience, having been betrayed many times before by those close to him. Instead of becoming bitter, or regarding all people as inherently untrustworthy and not worth his time. Instead, he learned and taught a simple truth. And if I could summarize probably three or four chapters worth of verses about David and how he viewed trust, he would say this, I believe simple people will fail us, but we can always trust in God. David's son, King Solomon, learned that lesson well and added to it, saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Both of these men speak to the reality, and I'll put it up there, that only God can meet our very real need for trust without fail, period. And so it is precisely because we know that God will never fail us that we can trust others. Four, when we know that no matter what men do to us, God will always be there, faithful and true and trustworthy, it is easier to handle betrayal or disappointments. When we know that the mission giver 
is, is, is gonna make sure his mission gets accomplished if we just listen, if we're obedient, if we're submissive, if we're, if we're engaged, if we're available. All these things are all words that, that we as Christians are supposed to be using along our journey through the deep woods because people will come and try to sidetrack us. It's guaranteed. And many times they'll do it in the name of the Lord. Now I'm just gonna try to kill something in one fine swoop here within our culture. But if you sit with me and bring conviction or, or passion or um, uh, wisdom, whatever word you want, and you preface it with the Lord told me to tell you or the Holy Spirit told me I need to share with you, just know the first card I'm going to lay down in our spiritual uno is also that the Holy Spirit told me to be careful with people who say the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. Just, 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 because, just because you say the Holy Spirit told you to tell me something doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit. It just means you think it's from the Holy Spirit. And just because I tell you the Holy Spirit told you to do something doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit. It means I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. It's when we together are in harmony, in shalom, right, in that peace, that we are recognized that the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. Then we know together the Holy Spirit is doing something. But don't lay your card down like you've been with God for 44 years. And so because you've been with God two years longer than I've been alive, the Holy Spirit must speak to you more clearly. Because just, I'm just here to tell you, I've had some people come to Christ and two weeks into Christ had more spiritual wisdom than some of the people I followed in Christ for 60 years. Because they saw their own depravity, they saw their own stuff, and they saw the depths Jesus went for them. And so all they had to offer was nothing, and that's a whole bunch in the kingdom of heaven. Like nothing is a lot to get to. Like you have to be spiritually disciplined to get to the point you offer nothing. And then all you offer is Jesus. But most of the time... Much of the time, people who bring their stuff are bringing their stuff, not the Holy Spirit stuff. I'll tell you a story. When I'm planting Kesed, I uh, took five days before I announced that I was going to plant Kesed and I drove east. I've shared this story before. It's part of our Kesed lore. Uh, I, I didn't know I was going to go for a drive, but I got in my car and I just ended up driving east. east and uh, I called my wife three or four hours later. I said, where, she said, where are you? I said, I don't know. I'm in Oregon somewhere. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, I think I'm just going to keep driving until God talks to me. So I ended up in like North Dakota, <laughs> like with the same pair of underwear, which is not as spiritually, <laughs> it's not nearly as, as spiritually enlightening as I thought it would be. But drove all the way there. I felt in my heart of heart of hearts that God wanted me to do this with the people and my family. And, and I drove back and, and then we got gathered some folks and we, we launched Kesed. About 18 months into Kesed, we were just in the middle of another building, actually. This is one reason we've learned so much and one reason that we've, we've been careful about how we present the building here uh, that we're about to move into because we've been through this before with a building that was also supposedly donated, but not really. Uh, it was the old Bally Center down on Cascade Station, or not Cascade Station, uh, 164th area, kind of, uh, it, it was the old Bally's building down there. Uh, and this guy who owned it was a Christian who said, hey, here's the thing, I have a vision for like this church club thing, you guys need a building, you got a couple hundred people, why don't you come in, run the club, cover all the labor, and then you can just basically use the building for church all the other days of the week. Well, six months later, it didn't work. I was foolish and bought in when I shouldn't have, and we all knew that I needed to leave. And, and the only way that I was going to leave uh, or keep the building was if I could raise $3 million in six weeks. 
And I had some people uh, spiritually guiding me on behalf of the Holy Spirit to drain our church dry for $3 million in six weeks at 18 months old. I said, yeah, I just don't feel like I can do that. God's gonna provide a different way. I'm gonna march on my path through the woods. About a week before we were supposed to move out, someone calls me and says, hey, you'll never guess, but so-and-so, who's a very wealthy uh, businessman in town, Christian, wants to meet with you. And I was like, what? And they go, yeah, he wants to meet with you. And I'm like, like, wants to meet with me and give me $3 million meet with me? And he goes, I don't know. He just, he heard about the story. He heard what's going on. He wants to meet with you. I said, okay. So I go to this gentleman's office, never met him in my life. Very intimidated, you know, small church. Uh, I've only been pastoring for about, uh, lead pastoring for months. And he sat down and he was very calm. And he said, Danny, tell me your story. And I said, okay. So I told the whole story. East, where I came from, what I did, where I was at, how I got in the situation, what my vision was. And he just listened and listened. And it was really loving. And it was, it was, I was in. And I was like, this is amazing. And he goes, Danny, I've listened to you now, and, and I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart. And I go, he laid $3 million on your heart is what he laid. He laid that on my heart too, Holy Spirit. <laughs> mm. I'll never forget this moment in my whole life. He said to me, um, he goes, Danny, I, I stayed awake almost all night last night in preparation for this meeting. And I was like, yeah, because $3 million is a lot to give away. And that makes, that's... <laughs> That's a big deal. And he says, and what I want to tell you, I want you to know is from God. And I said, okay. And he says, Danny, and he looked into my eyes and he said, God told me to tell you to pack it up and go home. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, God told me um, to pack it up and go home and that you just, you don't have it. And I said, but you don't know me. And he goes, no, but I know the Lord. And I said, but... Why did, you, why did you ask me my story? If that, and he goes, well, I wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to listen to God. And, and he goes, but he just didn't tell me that. He told me that this is how you should do it. You should get a card, and you should put five of the local healthy churches that, that do have it, that God is using, uh, on that card, and you should hand it out to your church this Sunday, and you should uh, shut the whole thing down. So says the Lord. And I sat there, and I turned bright red, and I got emotional, and I said, I, I'm... I'm grateful that you, that you shared. Um, can I still have the money, or is that not <laughs> So, So is the money, no, it's not. But, so I, I, I listened, and I, I, uh, I said, okay. And he goes, well, I'd like you to let me know in the next few days what you, because Sunday's coming, you know. And I said, okay. So I left. I was quiet for about a day, and then I asked all the people in my life that I spiritually trusted. And uh, I had a unanimous uh, that that wasn't from God. And so he emailed me and said, Danny, I'd like to know what you decided. And, and I replied back that uh, the Holy Spirit told me that, that what you said is not true. <laughs> and basically, we've been in a big, giant, let's find out contest ever since. Because <laughs> that was nine years ago. Wow. So here I am. And here's what's, here's what's so profound about this is that this was, this was a, uh, this still is a man of God. This is a person doing beautiful things. This is, this is a person blessing lots of people, but this was a person that I found out about three months earlier actually had a secondary offer on the building that we were in, and I was sort of in the way. And so I almost shut down the entire church in order to help him close a deal. See, we have to be careful 
when people, no matter the reputation, no matter the aura, no, right, the, 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 the aura of leadership, no matter the authority, we have to be careful and we have to evaluate and we have to recognize that God is the only one who is fully trustworthy. That's one of the reasons I can preach the way I do is because I'm not responsible for you. One of the reasons that I can step into some of these areas, see, I'm an artist. I get bored up here unless I'm doing stuff that God is bringing new light and new vision to me. I've had people say, man, you're just, can't we just do what we do? And I'm like, that's just not how I'm built. And that is from the Holy Spirit to me. And I can trust that the Holy Spirit will use whatever he wants to use in your life because I know that I am not the one who brings the healing. I'm just a tool that's used for the season that you're allowed or called to be here. This is a beautiful place to be for it has allowed me, someone who has experienced much church hurt, much uh, uh, trust breaking. See, I'm not the only person in the room who's experienced this sort of trust breaking in the name of God. But what happens is if you can pull yourself out of being responsible for everyone else and being, being responsible for all other sources of, of, of right and wrong and what is good and what is bad and where should we go and how should we get there, then suddenly all trust can be, in my case, laid upon God and the people of the church become the fruit of the trust I have in God, not the things I actually trust in. See, we don't trust in the fruit, we trust in the tree. But when we trust in the fruit, then as the fruit decays like, like it always does, as people leave like they do, as difficulties come, suddenly we're like, we don't have any more fruit. But when we trust in the tree, when we trust in the one who sent us, then it doesn't matter if it's a, a wealthy business Christian man or an old prophet or a pastor on stage or even a, a, a spiritual leader in your life that says things to you that don't line up with the way that God is asking you to trust him because you're not responsible for everybody else. You can release all those people from being responsible for you and you can stand before God as his and his alone. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about staying in that one and not calling yourself part of the 99. Because when you're just part of the one, when you recognize that your whole life is really about a process of being found, it's not about being part of the 99 and then we're on a mission, army of sheep, to go out and find other lost people. I think that whole tone is broken. I think your whole tone is supposed to be, I'm always the one. Jesus is the one that pulls me back in but I'm always the one because the one has to trust the shepherd to find him. The 99 got each other. That's one of the biggest reasons I got a problem with our church growing and I've been trying to shrink it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Here it comes. The more we develop, the more we trust that we are developed and the less we have to rely on Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean God can't blow us up to 10,000 people, but it's gonna be 10,000 people all relying on Jesus going, can you believe this is happening? Not 9,900 people seeking another 100 who are less than us and can use our help should be a part of the process that God brought us through because don't you know, we're found. We've made it. You wanna trust God? Walk out in the storm like Peter did. You wanna trust God? Take off onto the path that he's called you and let people of God come and tell you it's wrong. You want to trust God? Decide to invest in a marriage that everyone around you says is failing. You want to trust God? Love those kids that don't love you back. You want to trust God? Go to a church that doesn't have it all together, that doesn't meet your spiritual pedigree and be a part anyways just because God called you to be a part. You want to trust God? Leave the church you're comfortable in and go to this other church that you get to experience that God wants you to be a part of in order to help lead and fulfill his mission. If we want to trust God, we have to recognize 
that it is him and him alone that we follow and no one else. We are wise to take time to get to know others and not heedlessly give them our complete trust. And the only way that we then can still love those people is if we first trust him. This is how we can love people and not fully trust everything about them at the same time and yet love them anyways. Jesus himself did this, John chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, leave it right there. Oh, I knew it. My bad. Go back. The signs that he was doing. Jesus, this verse right here basically says there's no reason for them not to trust Jesus because they just saw him through Passover feast. They believed in him and they saw the signs he was doing. They trusted he was the Messiah. Next verse. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. He trusted that God was his source and that he didn't need to entrust himself to people, even people who believed in him to the depths a miracle can bring belief. And that's some serious belief there. You start seeing Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple fish and some bread, you're like, he might be something. And Jesus is like, I don't trust you with that. Because his source wasn't about them or the crowd. His source was the one who brings all truth and life. Now, sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between being wise about our trust and being overly self-protective out of past hurt or fear. Let me just say this. If you find yourself reluctant to trust anyone to any extent, we are wise, you are wise to do some introspection and if necessary, ask God to heal our wounded hearts. Because this is a really hard thing for you to grasp. I know it was for me, but it's critical. What you need to see in the young man and you need to see in the old prophet is that even though the old prophet pulled him off his way, it was still the old prophet that was used by God to send him back on it. See, you don't just get to excommunicate certain spiritual people from your life. You don't just get to excommunicate certain people who've wounded you as if, well, because they did this, now therefore nothing they say is real or valid or true. As a matter of fact, you don't even get to excommunicate non-believers from your life. There's some non-believers with some amazing wisdom. There's some non-believers with some real truth. There's a lot of experience out there that can speak to you back onto your path, even though they may be because they were listened in the wrong context, the very reason you got off the path in the first place. But so many times people cut whole sections of their life off and they're like, all these people are evil. Now I'm gonna go find, all that. here's what this means. Everything over here is evil, which means everything over here is good. And if everything over here is good, then nothing in it can steer you wrong, which isn't true because the only thing you're not supposed to trust is yourself and everybody else except for God. He's the only one that you can trust. So therefore, you cannot exclude everybody that's done you wrong and you can't include everybody that's done you right. Not all wolves are grannies and not all grannies are wolves. And yet both happen sometimes. Granny's got a crazy side. <laughs> Some of us know those grannies, right? We're like, well, well, well. this is the beautiful thing about following God. This is the beautiful thing about following the narrow path. It's complicated and it's deep and it's rich. And it's why the story of Little Red Riding Hood lives on and on and on. Because part of you is like, this just can't be true. How would she not put herself in that position? And now this and then that. And yet day after day after day, we live our lives facing these kinds of obstacles. For us to be healthy and honed upon the name of the Lord, we have to exclude and include everything except him. 
You have to exclude and include everything except him. This is the beautiful gift of multiple narratives. And man, I don't know a better example of multiple narratives than the holidays when you're sitting down with family that you love that you know is dangerous. (laughs) You're like, I adore you. I can't wait for you to leave. And, and, there, and there's multiple answers, right? You could cut the whole thing off. No family for Christmas, right? We're done. No family for Thanksgiving. But that's probably wrong. But you could also overly include, you know what? We're all family with no warning lights whatsoever. <laughs> there's this beautiful space of sitting in both that we need to remember that God is calling us to, recognizing that really at the end of the day, when you are lost and Jesus finds you, of course you become part of the 99. Of course you become found. My only hope is that your posture is that all those 99 go out back into the world and help people remembering what it was like to be lost. We need to accept these pieces and we need to recognize that we have to earn the trust We have to develop the relationships and we have to recognize at the end of the day that it is God himself who calls us and God himself who will provide for us. It, of course, bears saying that as we learn to trust others, we should continually strive to be trustworthy ourselves. I'll close with this. It's easy to talk about everybody else. It's easy to talk about what they all did to me and how I survived and how I'm still here, and all of us in this room relate to those kinds of stories, but I want to make sure you recognize that God himself recognizes that we ourselves many times are also untrustworthy. As Christians, we should be known as a safe place for others. Proverbs 3 says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Some of you might be planning a little bit of evil. Evaluate that. As Christians, we should be known for our ability to keep confidences, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. As Christians, we should be known for our honesty. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are in his delight. And as Christians, we should be known for our willingness to suffer with a friend, for a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born of adversity. For at times we will all let one another down, but we should strive to be trustworthy, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Because at the end of the day, without trust, true relationship is impossible. And we're not built to live life like that. My hope is that you can see, and I'll put this on the screen, that so much of the stories, the lore, the tradition, the legend, so much of these stories that live from generation to generation are filled with questions which are answered by the greater story being told by God. This is the greatest story ever enthroned throughout the generations, passing on life to those inheriting death, love to those inheriting hate, and trust to those inheriting lies. And we get to create new ones starting this year. We get to sit in the room really as ourselves. We get to see with new eyes and risk knowing that God is the one we're following and that some of these people who've pulled us off their path, by loving them, they'll actually drive us back to our path. We need to be willing to try again. 
even when we've been bit and scratched and hurt, because of a trust in our Lord, we can love deeply, we can reach deeply, we can hold deeply, and we, we can watch the renewing power of God restore our stories. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we move into this holiday season, I recognize that there are so many people who are um, going to sit in some awkward moments. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some difficult memories. There's going to maybe even be some harsh words. I ask, Lord, that today, within this message, there would, there would be a, just a spark of awakening. That there would be this reality that, God, you've called all of us on a path and Oftentimes those paths are through the deep and dark parts. And that God, you can use even the people who hurt us to put us back where we're supposed to be. So allow us to renew our trust in others by restoring our trust in you. Allow us to release what we're holding so that it doesn't weigh us down and muddy our emotions. Allow us to just be fully present, fully available, willing, Lord, to create new traditions, new legend, and new lore for our families, for those who come after us. Thank you for taking us to that difficult place. We just spend a few moments reflecting on the way you've moved stories like this one from generation to generation, bringing hope along the way. And all God's people said, amen.